can be really hard and your plan doesn't always go according to plan and obstacles come up. But if you just stay determined and laser focused on your vision, you really can succeed and figure out a way to meet your goals. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Anna Kelly, how you doing, Anna? I'm great, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's my pleasure and looking forward to this and a little bit about Anna. She's a founding partner of Zenith Capital Group and REI mom. She worked in the financial field for 20 years, started investing in real estate 20 years ago, and has a portfolio valued at over $12.5 million across 130 doors based right outside of Hershey, Pennsylvania. So with that being said, Anna, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So like you said, I had a background in the financial industry. I started out in private banking and was with AIG Life Insurance Company for 20 years. I just retired from my full-time job about two weeks ago. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks to rental real estate. And about 10 years ago, I moved to Pennsylvania. We started a business with a lot of debt and I started buying small properties really to house hack and mixed use building for my husband to practice in. So we got into having rentals really kind of by necessity, not because we were looking to be these big real estate investors. But over time, with things with AIG, when the economy collapsed, we're kind of on shaky ground. And I knew that I had to find a way to kind of replace my six-figure income and thought real estate was a great way to do it. So started a plan about five years ago to replace my income with rental property and just really materialized in, in the last two weeks right according to schedule. Well, let's talk about that plan. When you put it together, what did it look like? So I knew, Joe, that really I needed to have a minimum of about $150,000 to $180,000 a year completely passively just from my own rental portfolio without really taking into consideration bigger deals at that time or acquisition fees or those type of things. And so I do have four children, work full time, help with my husband's business. He's a chiropractor. And we knew that with limited time and limited money, our best bet was to start off buying small rental properties. So we started buying small four unit buildings initially and some small mixed use buildings here in the Hershey PA area where we could get to them really quickly and start with putting in sweat equity and buying them low, forcing the values, cashing out our equity, and then using that to buy 
more and more cash flowing properties. So it was just really figuring out that I needed X number of dollars and it was going to take me about 12 units a year to own 100% of to get to that point. That's what I was going to ask. So for $150,000 in income that comes from properties, how many properties does that make up? It took me about 60 units. So I just bought another 10 unit yesterday in my own portfolio, but it took me 60 units worth about $6 million to produce that passive income Okay. in my area. And you started with the four unit and then you said you did some small mixed use. What was the first small mixed use that you did? My husband coming here to start a chiropractic business in a small town, the price to lease space was pretty high. And a lot of the businesses are in a bottom floor of a building that was at one point a business on the first level and apartments above it. So we bought a mixed use building for him to practice out of that had the office on the first floor, three apartment units on top and behind it, and a four car garage. So we bought it kind of out of necessity initially. And did that end up being a good one? It did, other than the fact that we bought it at the height of the economy in 07. So we probably slightly overpaid for it. The values bounced back at this point. But I wouldn't say that it was necessarily the best investment if you were just looking for a return on your money, but in terms of fitting our needs to practice and having all of the expenses of the office covered by the tenants, it was a really good deal. So that was out of necessity. Did you purchase any mixed-use properties after that? We've just purchased some properties that had garages with them and some storage with the multi-units. Okay. No office, though. No office at this point, no. How come? Primarily because they didn't quite fit within what my goals were for the five-year plan. So I wanted to make sure that when I did retire from my job, I had what I knew was stable rental income. And there are a lot of different mixed-use buildings available in my area, but they don't tend to keep retail tenants for very long, I think because it's not a big major metro So businesses don't necessarily last. As you know, 90% of small businesses fail the first couple of years. So I didn't have the capital to take down large retail buildings or much larger industrial buildings at the time. So I just didn't want to risk having long-term vacancies in properties just to be able to say that I had some. Mm -hmm. When you created the five-year plan, your goal was to purchase approximately 12 units a year, yes? Yes, And that was five years ago. And at the time when you created your plan, you had zero units? I had a four unit that we lived in that we bought in 08, Uh the mixed use building I told you about. And then 10 years ago in 2009, I worked for AIG and AIG needed a $2 billion bailout from the government because they were heavily insuring mortgages and something called credit default swaps. And within a couple of weeks, our stock went from 101 a share to about 43 cents. So my 401k took a tremendous hit. And knowing what I did about the markets and having been trained on stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, I knew I needed to get out pretty fast. Even though you don't want to sell while you're at the bottom, it's heavily invested in AIG stock. So I moved over a bunch of my money, what I have left, 
and I borrowed $50,000 from my 401 to buy another four unit when it crashed because I thought I'm going to lose my job. My job is really our sole source of income because my husband was a business startup. Mm-hmm. And at least if I have a four unit, I can bank on some cash flow. Mm-hmm. So I had another four units. So I had 12 units at that point. And then I didn't do anything in real estate for five years, partially because the lending environment dried up. The lenders knew I worked for AIG and that my job was probably not stable. And even though I wanted to buy more units at that time, I just really wasn't able to tap equity and didn't have cash to invest at that point. So you bought 118 units then in about five years, and your goal was to buy 12 units a year, but you almost doubled that. You bought 23.6 units a year. What about your initial goal of 12 units a year was too conservative in hindsight because in reality, you did almost twice that? Yeah, and I've bought some more since then too. So I met my 60 units in four years instead of five. So I was able to go from the 12 units I had, I bought 12 units a year to get to 60 and hit that about a year ago. And at that point, I still had quite a bit of lines of credit and business credit cards that I had used to remodel all of these units because I bought them all well below market. They all needed to be completely updated to raise the values and cash out. So I knew at that point, my goal was to save a year income and six months expenses on all of my buildings so that I would remain bankable when I retired. And just so that I was doing it conservatively and wisely, given the fact that we may be heading for some harder economic times. So a year ago, I decided, okay, I'm about a year out. And now I need to figure out a plan to pay off all that debt and save a bunch of money. And I found an off-market 73 unit here in the Hershey area. And it was my first deal to really bring in JV partners. So I brought in two JV partners. We bought that 73 unit. And the acquisition fee was large enough for me to pay off the rest of what I needed. I sold two small rentals that were kind of dogs in the portfolio that I shouldn't have bought. Mm -hmm. And thankfully had a nice gain on that. So that buying the 73 unit allowed me to really be able to retire and do it wisely. Well, I have a lot of questions for you. You've you've given us a whole lot to talk about. What a story. Since you mentioned the 73 unit, let's just start there. You said you found an off-market 73 unit. How did you find it? It was one of those things that the timing was right. I happened to be at gymnastics, Joe, and I ran into someone. This this doesn't sound like we can repeat this process, but keep on going. (laughs) Yeah. Every once in a while, these deals just come to you. You just say, thank God. It was really good timing. But I was at gymnastics. I'm an acquaintance with in town, and she knew I had rentals, and I was on the phone dealing with tenant issues, and she was like, how many units do you have now? Oh, you must not be working full-time anymore. And I said, you know, I really am, but I'm working on working myself out of my job and I just need to start buying some larger multi so I can have on-site property management, not manage them on my own any longer. And she motioned her husband over, who I knew, he was a wealth manager and an attorney in town. And he said, you know, we're getting ready to sell our building. And I said, no, I didn't even know you had a building and he was going to list it the next week. So I said, how much do you want for it? And he told me about $7 million. I said, I'd love to see it tomorrow. So we made plans. I met with him the next day, knew I had literally a day to put a 
field together and make an offer before he listed it. And we were able to get it done. How much did you end up buying it for? 6.4 million. 6.4. So what's that like in the negotiating process when it's a friend of yours, it's her husband, they have this off market to you and they say, we want around seven, but you end up paying less. So just talk us through how that went. Sure. So to be honest with you, Joe, I was a little bit nervous because I didn't have the capital, but I knew I could figure it out. And I knew that if I didn't find the capital, it would leave a bad taste in their mouth and they're local and well-connected. And I wasn't really friends with them, but we had kind of an acquaintance relationship. So I knew I had to tread carefully. But I think because he did know of me and he trusted me and I had a good reputation with people that are joint acquaintances, he allowed me the day that we met to pull three full years from his QuickBooks to look at P&L because I said, can I get a couple of years of history? And he said, just go to my PM, we'll print it out for you, look over everything and tell me what you think it's worth. So I was blessed to be able to have that kind of advantage to really pour over the numbers for a day. And I made him an offer, which was about a million less than what he wanted for the property. Mm -hmm. So he said we were too far apart and he was getting ready to leave, but that he would think about what I had presented to him, which I gave him numbers and a clear case for why I thought it was worth what it was. And he gave me a week until he got back from vacation for us to talk it over. So when he got back, we went back over and we just sat at the table and worked through numbers. He gave me some additional information and we were able to settle at the 6.4 mark. And I'm sure since he was planning on listing it in a week, he was in communication with his broker. And I'm 100% confident without having heard this myself that the broker is telling him, well, we can get more. <laughs> so Absolutely. Did you and know if, what the broker was telling him he could get? Because I'm sure he was using that as a talking piece whenever he was negotiating with you. Absolutely. And in fact, he gave me the actual presentation that this large broker had given him as to what he should list and get for it. And during the week he was gone, he went to another broker to get an opinion of value. And he was well convinced that they would get at least $7 million, if not more and thought that there would be a bidding war because this is such a highly attractive property. It's within five minutes of the Hershey Medical System, Children's Cancer Research Center, Hershey Park, all of the different things within Hershey, and really in good, good shape. It had no exterior capex needed, and the rents were well below value. So part of our negotiation was, of course, brokers want to present values on pro forma, versus what the actual rents were. And they were all like 200 to 250 below market, Joe. Mm -hmm. So one of the negotiating points and really what helped save the deal and him sell it to me was that it was very important to him that his property manager was taken care of because it was someone who was a relative and that they cared about. And he knew that anyone else that brought that property was going to fire that guy and bring in someone else. So we sat down with the property manager, made sure we were comfortable with him and that he was malleable and would make the changes that we needed to be made. And we agreed to keep him at least for a while and be fair and work with him until we could make sure that he was comfortable and we were comfortable. 
And that really was the difference, I think, in him allowing us to buy it versus just listing it. How long ago did you purchase it? It was December 5th. Okay. Recent. Is that property manager still employed? He is. So one of my partners has a property management company and he owns several units about an hour and a half away. So we basically have him as an independent contractor underneath the property management company. How did you structure this arrangement with your joint venture partners? This was a new relationship. The first time that we had done deals together, one of the partners and I had both been at a bunch of local meetup groups and knew of each other, but just hadn't really worked together. And we knew that both of us were wanting to go after starting to syndicate and getting into larger properties and had just met a few weeks before talking about finding something to partner on. So when I found this deal, I immediately called him and said, okay, I've got something. Let's look at if you want in. And we were going to plan to syndicate it, but he had an investor that he had worked with before that needed to deploy capital and liked our area. And we contacted him first and the deal was so good. He wanted to fund the whole thing. So we didn't end up syndicating. The three of us just basically negotiated what we thought was fair for all three parties and made a deal. Oh, very cool. So that works out for everyone. So how did you structure it with each of you three? The partner who put in most of the capital is a larger percentage owner, of course. And the other two of us both got an acquisition fee and we split asset management duties. So because he has a back office and a property management company already, we were able to kind of utilize some efficiencies with Appfolio and the financial reporting on that side. And then I'm really close to the property manager. So I'm into the property. So I'm doing the on-site asset management fee and overseeing the turnover of the units and kind of more day-to-day helping the property manager to do what we need for the asset to perform the way it needs to. And on a deal like this, what type of acquisition fee should someone expect? We did 3%. Okay. 3% of the purchase price? Right. And a 2% asset management fee. Cool. And usually, I know with syndicated deals, you're either like 70-30 split, 60-40, 80-20. It can vary. What type of split is typical for a deal like this? I think typically 70-30. With this particular deal and with JV partners, you kind of have a little bit of give and take and you all figure out what's important to you and what's important to the others. And for me, the acquisition fee was important because I knew I needed a certain dollar amount to be able to get to that retirement point. And to our investing partner, he wanted more cash flow than we necessarily wanted to give up. So we kind of went back and forth and came up with something kind of unique. But we got the acquisition fee and we're splitting cash flow 75% to the primary investor. Mm -hmm. The other two partners split the other 25. But on the back end, it's 65-35. On the sale. Right. Okay, cool. That was a great deal. And it, it's yeah. the one that I really needed to be able to get to the retirement point. And the three of us just bought another 31 unit building last week. So we're continuing well, that process. Goodness gracious. And you closed <laughs> on a 10 unit two minutes ago, right? And just- I did yesterday. <laughs> wow. You're on fire. And the 31 units, let's talk about that real quick. How did you find it? This was another off-market deal. I actually have an acquaintance relationship with an agent who knows and is actually related to a seller of another really, really nice property 
And I told her, we're looking to buy more. If you can find us a deal, bring it to me. And a week later, she had something for us. So I also had an acquaintance relationship with the seller, had met with them a couple of times for completely different reasons. And they were just ready to retire and sell. They built a 31 unit in 2005 that was an old warehouse conversion. And it is just an absolute top of the line rental property in our area. And what value was there to add since it was relatively new construction? Primarily, the property was mom and pop, managed by the owner's daughter, who was in college and working and trying to be a property manager in between. Enough said. Sure. So the expenses were kind of high and there were some higher than normal vacancies and they had not been raising rents, even though the leases said that they could and should. So they're below market rents and have some efficiencies that values up. So while it's not as much of a slam dunk value play where we're going to make a killing on the back end, it's a really nice, stable, long-term hold for the three partners. And we anticipate really probably holding it for 10 years mm-hmm. and raising the rents. And there's not a whole lot of CapEx to do that. What type of financing do you have on it? We have Freddie Mac small balance financing. Any tips for someone who's undertaking that process? The process in general is pretty smooth for Freddie Mac small balance. I did learn a lot on this one though, Joe, because... I didn't realize that Freddie Mac has different criteria for debt service coverage ratio and for the amount of LTV and the amount of IO that they will give based on the market size. So this property was located in a very small market and therefore we had to meet a higher debt service coverage ratio than we realized and had less IO than what we thought we had up front. So I would just say you really need to understand the differences of the programs and where your property is located can make a big difference in your underwriting. Thank you for sharing that. That's good information for a lot of people. What was your debt service coverage ratio that you had to meet versus what you thought you have to meet? So we had done a Freddie small balance loan on the 73 unit that was a 1.3. So we assumed it was 1.3. And in the very small market, it needed to be 1.4. And of course, they only go based on the currents of the current owner. So when you have a property that's poorly managed and they're not collecting all their rents and the rents aren't maximized and expenses are too high, that really can hurt the coverage ratio. So we had to get a waiver and an exception to use 1.3, which we were able to do. And we just skirted by with current underwriting into that 1.3. If you hadn't got a waiver, what would you have done? We probably would have just had to put more down. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? I think that the best advice that I know to give is really that you have to really have a strong vision for why you want to be in real estate and what you want to do and really create a plan that you can execute and be laser focused on executing that plan so that you are not buying things that you shouldn't buy and that you're staying on progress. You have to have relentless determination to succeed and be able to stay resilient and get creative when the obstacles come because 
It can be really hard and your plan doesn't always go according to plan and obstacles come up. But if you just stay determined and laser focused on your vision, you really can succeed and figure out a way to meet your goals. What's been your worst deal? Speaking of obstacles. My worst deal, I had kind of the shiny gold object allure of buying a property with high cash flow because cash flow was my main purpose over the last five years in a C minus to D plus area. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I'm getting this property for 33 cents on the dollar. It's not a great area, but I'll just put it with a property management company and surely they can figure out how to keep it profitable and vacancies low and expenses down. And I spent more time and money in the year and a half that I owned it in trying to get the property management company to care as much about the bottom line and the tenants as I did, that it was just not worth the time. So thankfully, because I bought right, I was able to sell it 18 months later and cash out and still make some good money on it. But it taught me never to chase cash flow in a bad area. Those were the dogs you were talking about earlier. They were. <laughs> I, I like how you. I, I like. I, I. I usually call them ugly ducklings, but I like dogs better. <laughs> dogs. They right, carry we're, dogs. <laughs> we're gonna do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to bec20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn fifteen percent as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net. Best ever book you've recently read? Raising Private Capital by Matt Faircloth. Best ever deal you've done? The 73 unit that I just bought in December. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about already? Overpaying because I underestimated rehab costs. What is an aspect of the rehab estimation that you would do differently knowing what you know now? I have a much better idea of the extent of costs involved for structural damage and things that you can't see that are hidden behind walls. Who would be a good person to talk to in a market should a best ever listener want to be more educated about that? I would say property inspectors and realtors and contractors who know the kind of problems that come up with certain vintage of properties, things like polybutylene piping behind walls and things of that nature. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? I've started doing some coaching with some local people on learning how to get into their first rental properties. Some are house parents at like the Milton Hershey School and some local pastors who really give back with so much of their time, but really are strapped financially. So just being able to teach people about real estate and the way that it can change lives and improve their cash flow is tremendously rewarding for me. And Anna, how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? They can reach me on Facebook at Anna, REI Mom Kelly, or my website, which is REIMom.com. Anna, thank you for sharing your five-year plan that came to fruition. Congratulations on leaving the corporate job and having the income that replaces that salary and then some, plus all the freedom that goes along with it, plus the net worth and all the other good stuff. 
And thank you for talking about the deal specifics with your joint venture partners on the 73 unit, how you found that deal, although maybe we couldn't replicate it as much. But there is a takeaway where make sure that you're being social with other human beings <laughs> whenever you're at gymnastics or other things. You're not sitting in a corner by yourself on your phone doing your thing. Absolutely. So thank you so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. Really enjoyed our conversation. Talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Joe. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net.